Welcome to the Dr. Wayne Dyer Radio Podcast. Discover the wisdom and remarkable insights of Dr. Dyer, world-renowned spiritual teacher and foremost authority on how the power of your mind creates your world. You ever read uh, Thick Back Han? Yes, I love. I actually saw him speak here in. Uh, Did you? Yeah, uh, about two, no, maybe three years ago, he spoke at this big Buddhist monastery here in Escondido called Deer Park, and I, mm-hmm. I have to tell you, the whole experience was really incredible because it was like. It was like a Woodstock. I mean, people were leaving their cars up on this dirt road, and they're all like, oh, we have to see him speak. I mean, there was just such mm-hmm. a sense of excitement, and, mm. you know, just people were so happy to be able to, to hear him speak. Yeah, he's from Such Vietnam. Be a great teacher. Be a beautiful teacher, and he teaches something called mindfulness. Um, and uh, it's, uh, you know, uh, Tim Ryan has a, uh, you know, a book out about uh, mindfulness, uh, mindfulness with Hay House. The, the mindful nation, teach, you know, putting it into the schools and putting it into practice, where we practice something called mindfulness. And mind, mindfulness just is, um, it's, um, here, here's one of the uh, Thich Nhat Hanh's uh, quotes. He says, walk as if you are kissing the earth with your feet. Um, it's it's a, a practice of uh, putting your mind and your consciousness onto exactly where you are in the moment and being able to find uh, beauty. It's, uh, you know, one of the one of the great teachings that I learned as a young man is that looking at beauty in the world is the very first step in, in purifying the mind. You know, to be able to find beauty. I remember the story I told of uh, Viktor Frankl when I was with him in 1978 on a panel in Vienna, uh, the great Viktor Frankl, who wrote Man's Search for Meaning. And, and he said that they would give, uh, he, we had lunch after that, uh, just the two of us. I was very, very touched, and it was one of the most m- memorable moments of my life. And he um, he said to me, uh, when we were given a uh, a bowl of dirty water with a floating fish head in it, and that was our protein for the day, and um, he said, uh, you had to be able to find a way to find beauty in that. He said, when we're challenged with circumstances over which we have absolutely no control, that we're challenged to change ourselves. And uh, instead of looking at this as poor me and this shouldn't be happening and isn't this awful, but looking at it in terms of this is where I am. This is where I am in here, in this moment. And in this moment, I'm going to find beauty uh, in this and be in a state of appreciation for this fish, for uh, it's giving its life to me, it's uh, allowing me to, uh, you know, to... Uh, to survive and so on. And he said the people, he told me, and I'll never forget this, he said the people in the concentration camps, this was in Auschwitz, uh, in Poland, he said the people who couldn't find beauty in, uh, in the circumstances that they were in, the horrible circumstances that they were in, he said they, they would always uh, perish. He said, uh, you've got to be able to, uh, to see beauty. You know, the, the, the famous line from John Keats in the Ode on a Grecian Urn, Beauty is truth, and truth is beauty. That's all you need to know on earth. That's all you know on earth, and all you need to know. And um, so that this ability, and that's what mindfulness is. It's uh, walking on the earth and, and kissing the ground with your feet with each step that you take and becoming aware of it. 
he talks often, uh, frequently about uh, being able to find beauty in uh, in just drying a dish in the in the dishboard. Did he talk about that when you heard him speak? Because he he often uses that example of. Uh, I don't uh, remember uh, that particular story, but he did talk about mindfulness and you know bringing yourself into the present moment when you're pulled in in so many directions that a lot of times you're living in the past or looking forward to something that hasn't happened. Right. Yeah. A lot of times people sit down, uh, you know, and um, while they're, uh, you know, w- while while they're sitting down for a meal, they're already thinking about what they're what they're going to have for dessert, you know, and, and instead of thinking, instead of just being there in this moment, if this is the appetizer and this is the bite that I'm taking and, you know, and this is what I'm tasting in this moment and and to find beauty in uh, in virtually everything that there is in the universe, this way of, of making the mind pure. So anyway, while I was uh, this this cleanse that I uh, that I do is uh, it has three components to it. You have to take uh, organic lemons. I went through about a hundred 120 lemons in the last uh, 10 days, uh, and you have to squeeze uh, uh, the the lemon juice out uh, with each glass that you take <clears throat> because you can't just make a whole big batch of it uh, because all of the the goodies, the enzymes, and so on that you really need from the lemons all uh, evaporate into the air within 20 minutes after you uh, after you do this. So it's very important to just be in a place where you can make these uh, these drinks every few hours whenever you want. You can drink as much of it as you want, um, and then uh, an equal amount of uh, organic maple syrup, and then cayenne pepper, and um, that's your nutrition for for the next 10 days. Um, so uh, while I was uh, in the process of, uh, and I was thinking about Thich Nhat Hanh because I had just read some of his stuff on, on mindfulness, and I'm getting ready to, I'm preparing myself for my my uh, uh, workshop this coming Sunday in uh, in Portland with Anita Morjani, uh, which I'm really excited called I Am Light, you know, finding that light inside of us. And so I was doing the... Uh, preparation for the one of the drinks and it was in the evening and it was a second or third day that i was on the cleanse and after the, it's it isn't until about the fourth day that the hunger starts to disappear and uh, it, it's no longer something that dominates you you feel it you experience it but you just you're not uh, you're not trapped by it it isn't something that you feel okay i've got to put this food in me or i'm gonna die um so uh, i'm pouring the syrup out <laughs> And I have it poured in a, uh, in, a in this little t- a tablespoon container, and I was pouring the syrup in there, and all of a sudden I started to think about this syrup, and um, and what it was, and where it came from, and um, and that it was in a tree someplace up in uh, up in Canada or up in Vermont, and that uh, it had, uh, you know, it was like it was a gift. I mean, imagine a tree that just uh, gives us a gift of uh, of nutrition. And it's one of the, the healthiest things that we can eat. Uh, so I was just in a real state of appreciation for this syrup as I was uh, as I was pouring it and thinking about uh, where it was and how it got there and what it took for somebody to tap that and to put it into a container and to uh, you know and I've had this container because I bought a case of this syrup because I do this cleanse several times a year. I bought a whole case of it and it's been sitting in my cupboard for about a year, year and a half. And the expiration date on this syrup 
is something like 2023. So I mean, it lasts <laughs> for a very, very long time, you know. And uh, so who knows how long or, or what tree that it came from. And I was just going through and sort of the, uh, I don't know, it, maybe it's the poet in me, the, the part of me that just can uh, just go off onto that thing. And, and then as I, as I poured it in there and as I licked the spoon, you know, that's one of the things that you do on this cleanse is that uh, you pour, you take the syrup and you pour it into this little plastic uh, spoon and then you put it into the water and then you mix it and then whatever's left over you just you know you just lick every little bit of it and I'm thinking about what a wonderful glorious taste this is and what a wonderful gift and what a miracle it is that you take a seed and plant it into the ground and then these roots grow and then this thing comes up above the ground and then it turns into a tree and then the tree starts giving us back it gives us back life you know, in the, in the form of the syrup. And, and we just kind of take it all for granted. And I was in this deep state of appreciation for this, uh, for this syrup and what it was given to me. And then I was thinking, it made me think about, and I looked it up, it made me think about, uh, Rumi, um, who's, uh, probably my favorite, all time favorite poet. In fact, I'm going to be going to his, uh, the place where he is very, very holy site in Turkey in October when we do the cruise. I'm going to take a special private plane over to Konya and uh, be in the place where uh, one of the holiest places on the planet in Turkey where uh, Rumi is buried alongside uh, Shams of, of Tabriz, uh, the two people who were responsible for some of the greatest poetry that's ever been written. Uh, the Masnavi, is, uh, it just goes on and on, something like 600,000 lines of, of poetry. And there's one in there, uh, he wrote a poem, this is how poets think. Uh, he wrote a poem uh, about a chickpea. You know what a chickpea is? Sure, make hummus out of it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Thinking so of there's food a poem. now. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a poem called "Chickpea to a Cook," and it's a it's a chickpea speaking, and it's just I'm going to just do a few lines of it because as soon as soon as I started thinking about this syrup, I sat down and I was going to write a poet a poem about the, the gratitude I have for whatever seed it was and wherever that seed came from that was put into the ground. And how long ago that happened? It might have been a 100 years ago. Who knows that this uh, this all happened uh, and, and this tree emerged and then, the you know, it developed the capacity to create uh, what I was sitting here enjoying right now. And this is the opening of his poet, a poem called Chickpea to a Cook, written back in the 13th century. A chickpea leaps almost over the rim of the pot, where it's being boiled. Why are you doing this to me? The cook knocks him down with the ladle. Don't you try to jump out. You think I'm torturing you? I'm giving you flavor, so you can mix with spices and rice, and be the lovely vitality of a human being. Remember when you drank rain in the garden? That was for this. Grace first, sexual pleasure. Then a boiling new life begins, and the friend has something good to eat. Eventually, the chickpea will say to the cook, Boil me some more. Hit me with the skimming spoon. I can't do this by myself. I'm like an elephant that dreams of gardens back in Hindustan and doesn't pay attention to his driver. You're my cook, my driver, my way into existence. I love your cooking. The cook says, I was once like you fresh from the ground. Then I boiled in time and boiled in the body, two fierce boilings. My animal soul grew powerful. I controlled it with practices and boiled some more and boiled once beyond that and became your teacher. 
Chickpea to a cook by Shella Luden Rumi. So we're all still boiling right now. Yes. (laughs) We're in that process. But a a poet can take any moment and turn something and turn it into beauty. Beauty is truth. Truth is beauty. That's all you need to know on earth. That's all there is to know. And, you know, you can look around whoever you are listening, wherever you are on this planet right now. um, Look out your window or... Look, look, look to your right or look to your left, wherever you are, you know, in a little room someplace or sitting on a beach somewhere or driving in your car or whatever it might be. And just look around, you know, if there's if there's a painting on the wall, if there's, a, you know, right now I'm I'm looking at a surfboard. That's the, my son was just here with me for 35 days and I really miss him so much. He left last night and um, and I just, I can, you know, as I look at this surfboard, I could write a poem about uh, about my son and how he loves to uh, stand up on that surfboard and ride those waves, how it's his life. It's been his life since he was four years old. It's his passion. He uh, he, he can't hardly ever think about anything else other than just being, being one with the ocean and a wave. That's a poem. And so we were sitting out on the, uh, on the lanai, on the, like the patio um, on Maui. And uh, all of a sudden, a uh, a praying mantis. Do you know what a praying mantis is? Sure, one of those weird-looking insects. It <laughs> <laughs> looks like his little, little feelers are praying. Yeah, <laughs> weird-looking is right. I mean, so so this thing flies up and lands right on the railing um, of the uh, you know of the balcony, and uh, it just starts. It's walking across the railing all the way across, and it gets to the end. And then it turns around and it walks all the way back to the other side. And then it starts doing this again. And for about 20 minutes, my son and I are just standing there looking at this thing. So he, of course, runs and gets his iPhone. And he said, I'm going to take a picture of this thing. And uh, and then he took a picture and we got a real close-up. This thing, it was almost like it was it came to visit us. Um, and it didn't, it didn't want to leave. And they are, you know, when you look at one of these things crazy, first of all, they have six legs. You know, the two front legs are like arms. Um, which I guess they capture little tiny insects or whatever, and that's what they eat. Uh, its head, it's it's sort of a, like a diamond shape, and it looks as if uh, it looks as if it, uh, like it's an alien of some kind. You know, it's like it's a, and it's got two little hairy antennas that go off one to the left and one to the right. Um, and it's you know I don't know if you know about the sexual practices of a praying mantis. <laughs> Not so much. <laughs> no? Well, it's a very fascinating one because the female, after she is impregnated, the minute, the second after she is impregnated, she turns around and bites the head off of the male. <laughs> that's, that's the truth. That's interesting. I never knew that. <laughs> and, that and that's the end of that male's, that's his journey. That's his right. journey is to come here and to produce another one, and then she makes sure that he doesn't go any further. Um, I had a wife like that one. No, I won't. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but... Uh, so, so we looked it up, and all of a sudden we're both examining, you know, what is a praying mantis and, and the, the, the spiritual consequences of a praying mantis. My son says, look, Dad, look at this, what this says in here. And uh, it says that when a praying mantis comes and stays with you and just visits you, it's really the, um, uh, it's the presence of a, of a recently uh, deceased uh, a person in your life who is just showing up for whatever. That's symbolically, spiritually, that's kind of what it means and so on. Wow. But... Uh, and it's not, it's not like I want to talk so much about praying mantises and uh, about maple syrup and, uh, you know, and about a chickpea and all of this. What I want to say to all of you is that, uh, you know, the, the, the very first step 
um, in, uh, in purifying your mind and moving into higher levels of consciousness and, and recognizing the internal, the eternal infinite consciousness that you are is to uh, look at beauty in the world and, uh, and, and see it in, in as many places as you can. And if you're a writer, you write a poem about it. I mean, uh, there's three or four poems in there right now that I, you know, that, uh, and if I were talking, if Rumi were here listening, and he, maybe he is, maybe that was Rumi, uh, you know, in the, because uh, uh, I have such a love affair with this, uh, his poetry. Um, maybe it was Rumi walking across my balcony uh, on the railing uh, saying, find beauty in me. Uh, just one of the one of the strangest experiences that I've had, and that all came from Thich Nhat Hanh. And, and since since we had that experience, and since I was reading him this week, um, I've been finding beauty in, in everything, you know, in every little bird that flies by, and uh, every person that's out there, and every wave that shows up, and and so on. So it's a great reminder. A, yeah, just to open yeah. your eyes and, and look around, and uh, you yeah. can see beauty everywhere, like a spider web. I'm always amazed. How do they do that? Oh, my God. I, <laughs> intricate I sp- patterns. I, <laughs> you know? I had a spider web in my toilet area. I don't know if I, t- I think I told you about Gus. You know, that, uh, you know, and, I, and, and I just wouldn't let the people who come in here and clean, I would leave a note if I would go away and say, don't, don't destroy Gus's little home. And uh, I would watch this thing uh, build this, uh, this uh, spider web. And they build it from within themselves. You know, they, they spin, it, it comes out of them what they make. And then they're actually able to, when, sometimes they do it from a ceiling and they can hang on to what is coming out of their stomachs or wherever it's coming from. Uh, yeah. And then all of a sudden it's this in- intricate, uh, beautiful design. And then I looked uh, about a week later and there were all these tiny little things that must be flying in the air, like microscopic little uh, th- that are trapped in there. And that's where this thing eats. And he was perfectly happy in the corner of my bathroom. And every time I would go in there and sit down, I would kind of talk to Guy. I named him Gus. I don't know why. But that, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good spider name. Why not? Maybe maybe I'll name uh, maybe name that uh, praying mantis Rumi or Jelaludin or Mevlana, which means our master. Yeah, Mevlana in Farsi. Anyway, that's all I wanted to say about about mindfulness and the chickpea and the, the maple syrup. Uh, how, uh, and how great I feel after after fasting for ten days. How much energy I have and. Uh, so I encourage you to think about that. They say about fasting that what it does is it gives the body a rest because the, uh, the process of digesting food is really a very, very involved and intricate uh, you know, ex- experience. And uh, there's an awful lot of work that has to go through. So your body is constantly, every time you're putting food in there, you know, it now has to go to work with you know, processing it and digesting it and eliminating it and getting all the chemicals and making sure it's all in the All of this done, is done automatically. And when you... Uh, when you give your a chance to fast, you you let the rest of your body heal, you know, because uh, it, it needs to heal just like you need to sleep every day, in order to keep yourself strong. You need to give your body a rest from from all of this food and all of this eating all the time, and it's also a great, a wonderful reminder to uh, about how powerful your mind is and what you can, how you can use your mind to uh, make your, uh, you know, to make yourself, uh, you know, much healthier and happier, and so on. I'll have a, to try it's a great it sometime. Process. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I could do ten days, but <laughs> of course you a could. A couple days, yeah. maybe. But yeah, I promise you, you could. You're a lot stronger than you think you are. <laughs> if you had to, you definitely could. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. So anyway, that's what I wanted to say. So I'll be in Portland on Sunday, and then the following weekend I'll be in Denver uh, at the I Can Do It, 
And then uh, in June, I'll be here on uh, on Maui. And then I'm out going up in Canada in May. We're going to do, uh, we're going to, uh, starting out in Edmonton, and then I go to Ottawa, and then we go to uh, Montreal, and then to Moncton, and then to St. John's, Newfoundland. So I'm going to do a Canadian tour We have so many in listeners in Canada. in Canada. Yeah, yeah. They'll be looking yeah, for I you. Yeah, I feel very much at home in Canada. My, my mother was born in Canada. My father was born in Canada. Um and had my my grandfather not just emigrated to the United States uh, for a job in the 1920s, I would have been born in Canada. Well, they'll be looking anyway, for you. I have lots of relatives there. And yeah. you can check all that on um, hayhouse.com. Just go to events, and everything's listed there. And I think Edmonton, I heard that might even be close to sold out. It's getting there. I can do it. Yeah, yeah it's uh, so mm-hmm. many fans up there. Yeah, it's such a beautiful place, and I'm gonna I'm gonna get up there a little early because I'm gonna take I'm gonna go up to Lake Louise and Banff. Have you ever been up there in the Canadian Rockies? No, I'd love to. Oh my <laughs> God, that's some of the most beautiful place in the world. That Lake Louise, I, I, I can still see that in my mind's eye. That's another poem. Ready, so. waiting to be written. Yes, right. That could be the the next book. Right. We'll think it over. <laughs> yeah, a chickpea leaps almost over the rim of the pot where it's being boiled. Why are you doing this to me? The cook knocks him down with a ladle. Don't you try to jump out. You think I'm torturing you? I'm giving you flavor so you can mix with spices and rice and be the lovely vitality of a human being. Remember when you drank rain in the garden? That was for this. That was for this. To find out more about Dr. Wayne Dyer or any other Hay House author, please visit hayhouse.com. Thank you for listening.